Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best mysteries, thrillers, and suspense novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with T.J. Turner, the author of the fascinating alternative history thriller, Lincoln's Bodyguard. T.J., welcome. Uh, Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So the the theory behind this book, it's sort of like the ultimate what-if question. We hear authors say all the time, you know, I had this idea. It's like, what if this or what if that? What if the other thing? And um, I... I will say, when I read books uh, to prep for an interview, I don't read anything about the books first, so I'm coming in cold. And um, I'm like, (laughs) am I getting my dates wrong with this? (laughs) And it took me a minute to catch on with what was happening here. So uh, tell the listeners the what-if scenario here. Sure. So it's... I'm very fascinated with these tipping points in history, and, and particularly American history. So, so things that uh, could have gone different, or things that uh, people could have done uh, or not done, and changed the outcome of history uh, substantially. And so, in, in my novel, it was a reimagining of what if Abraham Lincoln had been saved from assassination on April Fourteenth, eighteen sixty-five. And uh, that's the background to the novel, the setup, and then, like you said in the intro, it's a thriller. So there's there's an additional storyline on top of that. But the the whole background to to the story and, and what's going on in the country is very different than the history that that we know and that that is played out in in reality. And interestingly enough, you know, I. The majority of, of what I know about history, I learned in grade school. I took a couple of college courses in, on American history and European history. Sure. But uh, there are a lot of things in here that I didn't know. I did not know, for example, that uh, Abraham Lincoln felt like his, his assassination, if he were to be killed, would bring an end, finally bring an end to the Civil War. Yeah, absolutely. He was um he's really a fascinating character in in himself, you know. He he was a fatalist, so he really you know, he believed in sort of these uh these premonitions. He even had dreams that he he related to uh, some of his confidants about, you know, that he would have to die to to be the sort of the last death that uh would happen for the union in order for the country to finally bind its wounds up and and become one. So, yeah, he he certainly had that that fatalistic approach to to life, right? He went out riding without uh, security. Mm-hmm. He would go out for for walks between the White House and the War Department, which is about a quarter of a mile. You know, he even returned one day with a uh, bullet hole in his hat. And uh <laughs> you know, it's he sort of laughed it off and said, well, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So it's, <laughs> it's sort of a different approach than, than you would expect a president would have today. Now, we, we, we kind of gloss over this whole what-if scenario because it's, there's a lot to it. it. It's not just, you know, what if, he did, what if his bodyguard saved him? Um, but there's a lot to it. You've got to work your way through the, all of these different what-if scenarios to come up with this book. So let's, let's go a little bit deeper in terms of the what-if and some of the things that you, you might have considered. Sure. So it's, it's really a, it's an interesting question, and I think a lot of other people have had it in the past. So it's, you know, that, that what if, if, if Lincoln had lived? And so there's, there's this overall consensus that people think that, you know, if Lincoln had lived, things would have gone a lot easier in Reconstruction. And that certainly probably was true. He, his last inaugural speech, he was already talking about binding up the wounds of the nation, bringing us together as, as one people again. And uh, he certainly had a more conciliatory tone than Andrew Johnson, who was his successor, um, had during Reconstruction. And 
the the uh, outstanding piece, though, if you read Jay Winnick's book, uh, he has a, a book, April 1865, the month that uh, saved America. Mm-hmm. He has really fascinating topics in there. He's he's a great historian, and and he talks about how you know the the thing that we don't consider in that that. Uh, playing out of Lincoln being alive is is what the Confederacy would have done. And they were they were instructed by their their president, Jefferson Davis, uh, and when I say they, it's uh, General Lee and General Joe Johnston, to actually engage in a guerrilla warfare and carry on the war and not, not to surrender. And that certainly was a possibility. All of these men were West Point graduates. They had studied guerrilla warfare. And if they had done it, if you look at the terrain of the South, it would have been, uh, you know, a, a terrible bogging down. Sort of would have had an occupation force just like you have in uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah, I, I was I was going to say. I mean, I know you served. You were in the Air Force, and you've served, I think, three terms in Afghanistan. Absolutely, yep. And I have two sons who both served in Afghanistan, and and just hearing the stories from them as I was reading about this guerrilla warfare and the way the insurgents, we'll call them, from the south would would form together and go out on an attack and then just kind of dissolve back into the landscape and, and become a part of society again. It seems a lot like what's going on over in Afghanistan. Did, did, uh, did what you went through over there impact the way you wrote this story? Absolutely. So it's sort of foremost in my mind. And you know, if you're going to set up an insurgency, what what is it like? What does that really feel like on the ground? And and I've been there, so I've I've seen that up close. I'm part of a you know kind of a specialty career field that goes out and talks to people and gets the, the needs of the community around you to to get a better relationship between the the U.S. and the the people we're helping to to rebuild their nation with. And so you know, I had a lot of direct experience with folks you're talking to today are the ones who are lobbing uh, rockets at you at night. Mm-hmm. And so they just melt back away. They don't have uniforms. You know, there's no real way to tell them apart other than, you know, really, really getting at the, the cause of the problem and having people who will, who will trust you and start talking to you. So that definitely influenced how the, the setup of the book was and, and how I imagined what that same insurgency would have kind of looked like in 1865. Have you always been a history buff? I have, yeah, it's, especially American history. It's uh, and the Civil War is. Uh, I was uh, growing up, definitely was a Civil War buff. So I've I've always loved. Uh, I loved our history and and read a lot. I, I don't I don't know what the I don't know what the right term is here, but I'll ask. Have you ever been a part of any of these uh, war game kind of things where people get together and reenactments? Have you ever done a Civil War reenactment? I never have. No, no, never got into that part of it. I'd always loved reading about it and and uh, you know, seeing the history going out to the battlefields. And in fact, we were just at Gettysburg a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've never been part of a, a reenactment group myself. Now, when you were doing the research for this book, you already had a pretty solid background in American history, as you've said. Was there anything that you learned that just really shocked you? Well, I, th- I think just the the whole what if you know the uh, exploring the the question with Abraham Lincoln was a was a big one, and just what might have been and, and how things could have been different. It's uh, it's it's just amazing to me. Abraham Lincoln himself was, and we all know him as this great president. But when you you look back at him and his administration, he was wildly unpopular at the time. He had very low approval ratings, and and he threaded that political needle. He was almost the the last person you would ever expect to have become president, and yet at the same time. He's sort of the the cult of personality that had to guide us through the Civil War, right? He uh, he was dumped by his his earlier political party, the Whigs, and and finally got picked up by the Republicans. He was even nominated to to be the Republican president for or candidate for president as a compromise candidate, and then uh, and then the Democrats happened to split in in the 1860 election. So, you know, it was very fortuitous for us as a country that that this man was elected 
our, our president. He is uh, just an amazing, amazing personality all by himself. Now, this is your first published novel, if I'm not correct. So do I have that right? It is, yes. Have the previous things that you've written, anyone who's written a novel has written a few other novels prior to that that are sitting in sure. drawers somewhere. Are yeah. any of your novels in the drawer, are they historical like this? So, so the very first one, I, uh, it, that one will never see the light of day. <laughs> and it, uh, it, it has a little bit more of a, of a science fiction twinge with a Cold War bend to it. So that's sort of a blending of a genres that I'll, I'll probably never, uh, never release on the world. And uh, the second one was about Afghanistan. So it was, it was a little closer to home mm-hmm. after first deployment. And, uh, and so I, I worked hard on trying to get that one represented, and it just never quite clicked. And so I, I decided to put it down, and that's when the you know the whole Lincoln idea came to me, and decided to capitalize on all my my love of American history. And and this is so completely different than anything you'd written before. Did you did you really think it through? It's like is this really what I want to do? Because I've written this science fictiony thing, this Doctor Strangelove kind of thing, and I've I've written a sort of a, a war story in Afghanistan kind of thing, and now I'm going to American history. Or did you just fall in love with the story and dig in with it? Yeah, yeah, this one just hit me, and it uh, it actually it came from the title. I was driving home from uh, from work one night, listening to NPR, and I was actually kind of depressed about the second novel not not having found representation for it, and and was considering giving up writing altogether. And uh, Terry Gross was on on NPR and on her program Fresh Air, and she was talking about something around the the assassination of Lincoln or maybe other presidential assassinations. And she said something about, you know, wouldn't it have been amazing if Lincoln had a real bodyguard? And just that title, Lincoln's Bodyguard, kind of flashed, stuck in my head. It was like a neon sign. And the story just gripped me and took off. And, and, and I think a lot of authors will say this, like their characters or their story, it's almost like it's coming from a different plane of existence. And it grabs the, the writer to be that, that oracle of the person who's telling it. Um, and it's, so it just kind of grabbed hold of me and the characters just took me right through the story. So there really was no doubt on this one. It, it wrote itself in about six months, and then uh, you know it took many extra months of revision and and finding a finding a great literary agent. So, and but, walk, uh, yeah, walk us through no that doubt. process for someone who's written a few novels and you, you've gone through the process and you've been declined and that's disheartening. Mm-hmm. And you know, as you said, you're driving down the road and thinking, "Geez, maybe this isn't for me." <laughs> What's it like when a you know you find an agent and then b you get the the call or the email that says, "Hey, we're going to publish this." Oh, it's it's fantastic. I mean, so so first of all, I'll say if, if I can get published, anybody can get published. <laughs> um, it's uh, it's I was never trained as a writer, so you just gotta stick with it and, and love it, and uh, especially find find the stories that uh, you know you can be authentically curious about, right? That you you can really dig into. I think that makes a real big difference. It mm-hmm. comes comes across in the writing. Um, but then, yeah, it's it's about a lot of hard work. It's a lot of rejection. I've got a stack of rejection letters from my other novels, um, and that's just the way it is. And and you sort of learn as, as you do each step. You know what's what's a little bit better. How to approach agents better. How to write those query letters and get their attention. And then you also start learning how to target the right agents. And that was something I didn't do uh, on my first two novels as well. And I and I learned about especially by attending things like the Antioch Writers Workshop and, mm-hmm. and other other writers conferences and, and networking with writers. Um, so getting that, signing that agent, uh, Liz Crocked from the Kimberly Cameron Associates is, is my uh, my agent. And she signed me while I was in Afghanistan for my third tour. So Oh, you're kidding. Sort of, wow. No, yeah. It was, it, I, was call, I had to call her, which is sort of an awkward conversation. And when was so this? Uh, what, what time period was this? So this was, uh, I think it was February 2013. Okay. Is, is All right. when 
actually had our first conversation, and she decided to sign me on the phone. And the whole time I'm on the phone, hoping that no no rocket attacks that night, so I don't have to hang <laughs> up on her and and and, and run off and, and get back to work. But uh, yeah, she, you know, not, not all the days were great in Afghanistan, but that day was fantastic to to hear that I'd finally gotten my first literary agent. I remember um, a day uh, my wife and I were at Best Buy. It was close to Christmas, and we were trying to figure out what to get our son, who was in Afghanistan, and sent to him. And he was at a place where there was no base yet, and there was there was nothing. We had heard nothing from him uh, in sure. quite a while. And all of a sudden, the phone rings, and it's this unknown, bizarre number. And it was mm-hmm. Randy calling from Afghanistan, and it was just so weird that we're we're in Best Buy, and I, I I had that same flash of you know you you finally getting your your deal with your agent while you're in Afghanistan. That's just really a cool story. <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it was it was absolutely great. And then you know, it took, takes her months to we did a lot of revisions back and forth, and then uh, she finally found a, found a publisher that was just absolutely perfect in, in Ocean View, and and I got that call late one night. I was the only one up. I was standing alone in my kitchen and my wife and my kids had all gone to bed and so it was just me getting to savor this moment that my my book had been signed so it was right. it was a great great feeling all right now i've i've been to your website which is very well done and i would encourage people to go there it's tjturnerauthor.com um but while i was there i read your blog and there's a recent post we all imagine what it's like to get that first fan mail, that first <laughs> yeah, email message from a fawning fan telling you how fabulous you are. And and you wrote about that. So share that wonderful story with us, if you would. Sure. So I, I, uh, I got my very first email, and, and I've gotten good feedback from other people through other venues like Facebook and, and such, but this was the very first one that arrived in my inbox, and it, it wasn't such the nice fan mail. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> someone who's, who's lacking a little bit of historical perspective and, and certainly a little... Uh, well, just a little racist and bigoted. So it, w- it was interesting to, to get that email and then uh, try to formulate a good response back. <laughs> I, I love that you just put it out there, the, the email and your response on your website. And I, I don't think people... I think that's the best way to go with it. <laughs> I, I don't think people realize how how sometimes readers will, will read books and disagree with something or think that it's not possible, and then they just decide it's time to send an email or write a scathing review or something, and, and just, I, it, it's like there's not a, a person at the other end of, uh, it, there's not an actual person that wrote the book. It's just a machine or something that wrote the book, and they're not really going to take any offense to any of this stuff. Yeah, it's kind of akin to road rage, right? You're you're in yes, your own little yes. bubble on your computer, so you're not thinking that there's a real person there. So it's a little easier to kind of reach out and just, uh, you know, smack them in, in the wrong way. So yeah, that ruffled my feathers the wrong way, and I, I had to respond. So and as you said, you've had a lot of really positive response. There's a lot of really good reviews on Amazon, and uh, everything mm-hmm. that I've read about the book is is very positive, and I really enjoyed it myself. Uh, you mentioned awesome. the uh, the Antioch Writers Workshop. Was that did you go there before publishing the book or or before writing the book? I, I did actually. So so the Antioch Writers Workshop has been critical to to me becoming a, a, a real writer, like a published writer. It um, I, I had been writing sort of in the closet. I finally told my wife that I that I wanted to write a novel, and uh, you know the, she she had great encouraging words for me. She said, "A, that's going to be hard, and B." You can't do that. And, uh, <laughs> well, awesome. Little realizing that that was going to encourage me beyond belief. It doesn't work with everything. If she says I can't clean the bathroom or if I can't make dinner, it doesn't seem to inspire me that in the same manner. But 
it, it did with that. So I, I wrote my first book, and then uh, I actually finished that on my first tour in Afghanistan. So I was overseas, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a desk job on, on that first tour, so I had a little bit more time on my hands when uh, things were down. And Nancy had discovered the Antichrist Workshop. It was right in, in my hometown, Yellow Springs, Ohio, and and she she looked at it and said, hey, you should think about applying. And so I put together a package, and and uh, I was looking at it, and I'm like, you know, I'm, I don't know that I can share my writing with people yet. I'm not ready for this. And no sooner had I said that, and the alarm sounded, and this is back in 2006 when rocket attacks at Bagram mm. were too, uh, weren't too common. Mm-hmm. And I remember running into the bunker and uh, hit my head on the, on the concrete bunker on the way in. And I happened to be the only guy who ran to this particular bunker because it had about six inches of muddy, yucky water in it. And uh, I laid myself out cold in this water. <laughs> and uh, when I, I, I didn't knock myself out, but I kind of laid there and went, you know, there's just got to be a better way. I'm, I'm, nothing could be worse than this right now. And people can make fun of me for my writing, and that's fine. I'm going to submit this thing. And so I turned around and sent off the, the package to her, and she, she turned it in for me. And that was... That was how I got accepted at the Writers Workshop as on one of their scholarships. So, and it's just been a phenomenal place to learn about writing. To it's really encouraging. It, it's it's about the art of writing and and uh, encouraging writers. And, and you just get to learn the whole business and and find other writers who are like you and and realize that you're not alone. You, you know, it's kind of a scary thing to share your work with people for the first time, but there's a lot of people going through it. So yeah, and, a, and what's what's scarier? Problem. Is it uh, hearing the alarm that there's a, a, a rocket coming in, or getting up and actually sharing your work in front of people? Uh, so certainly getting up and reading in front of people. <laughs> that's a new skill, that one that I've never had. I'm good at public speaking, but mm-hmm. reading my own words, and especially as I'm reading them, I'm like, I'm, I'm still in the editing mode. I'm like, wow, I should have changed this and changed that. <laughs> and so it's it's hard not to do that when you're up there reading. Um, but certainly every, every single time I you know I log on to Amazon and there's another review up, I'm always like, <gasps> what are they going to say? Did someone <laughs> like it or hate it? So it's I'm still in that mode where it's it's a brief moment of panic before you can find find what's being said. And what everyone says is that the antidote for all that is to be working on the next book, and I'm sure you are. So what are you working on now? Because it's not like you can turn this into a series. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is a, this was a one time deal. Although there. There is a prequel for it in, in mind, so that, that may become a, another book down the road. But the one I'm currently working on is another historical fiction. It's not a revisionist historical this time. It's just a straight historical fiction, but it, it takes place in New York City during the Revolution. Okay. Well, that sounds interesting. And so for people who have been listening to this and like like this idea of historical fiction, especially this particular story that we've been talking about that was so fantastic, um, what's the best way for people to follow your work? Well, so, yeah, so certainly, you know, catch up with me on my website. There's, uh, I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, so you can, you can see me there. And then uh, the, the book is up on Amazon. And uh, if you're more local, some of the, the local bookstores carry it. And Barnes and Nobles has it here and there. And if they don't have it, ask them; they'll get it for you. Absolutely. All right. Yes, well, thank you. Independent bookstores, if you can, I, I like to support them as much as possible. As as we all do. Yes. Uh, amen to that. So I will have links to your website, your Facebook page, your Twitter account in the show notes, which will be at uh, www.crimefictionfm.com. So uh, thanks so much, TJ. It was great talking with you. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.crimefiction.fm. Please do drop by the website and sign up for our email list. That's the best way to keep up with everything we're doing here. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.